Hey everyone, welcome to Subhub Podcast. Today we have our guest Sviat. He's the founder of a subscription optimization agency called Applica. And he will share a lot of experience today about how to monetize our apps better. This podcast made by Adapti. Adapti is a service of A-B tests and monetization of your applications. Check it out if you haven't already. And if you find our podcast useful, please share it, hit a like, and here we go. Hi, Svet. It's good to see you here with us. So could you tell a bit about your previous experience, your background? Hi, guys. Uh, really happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. All right. So yeah, basically what I'm doing is helping mobile apps grow their revenue by optimizing subscriptions and their monetization endeavors. So it's a little bit of magic, but I would say it's like 90% of incremental approach. And uh, my background was when I started, I actually was in academia and I studied behavioral economics and cognitive psychology. So that was helpful for me uh, to actually get this theoretical background kind of how we make decisions as human beings, how we make economic decisions, how price can influence our decisions, right? So, and after that, I joined BetterMe, one of the biggest health and fitness apps. And I started there as performance marketing manager, so was responsible for paid user acquisition. Then at some point, I got promoted to product marketing manager and then eventually to growth person who was responsible for monetization. After that, uh, I started consulting different uh, mobile apps. So uh, usually those were within health and fitness industry, but also from education, entertainment, on different scales. And the sole purpose of that was to actually help those apps uh, increase the lifetime value of their subscriptions, of their products. And right now, that all consulting experience led me to creation of the mobile agency that is focusing on uh, subscription optimization. So I called it Applica Agency. We have a very, very bright clients. And um, basically, that's, that's all the same story, helping to monetize better with the subscriptions. Okay, cool. That's very interesting. And did uh, psychology help you in understanding user behavior in apps or something like that? I would like to think so. The story is theory, of course, doesn't translate 100% to practice. And... I think initially at the beginning of my career, I was highly biased by theory, like, you know, was trying to generate hypotheses just from textbooks. But then eventually I found kind of golden middle. So there was like real feedback from users, from experiments. And of course, the scope of possible hypotheses to test within uh, wherever like monetization or even pricing optimization, if you take it more narrowly, is enormous, right? So then I returned back to cognitive psychology and behavioral economics to actually reduce the scope of hypothesis. Well, I can't test anything. So what's the best thing I can do now? Maybe I'll just take a famous cognitive bias and try to make use of it on a specific paywall. So that was kind of approach I came up with. And yeah, I think it's becoming more helpful with the applied knowledge from practice I get. So it can't be solve theory, of course. Yeah. And so you're working in one of the largest mobile application health and fitness in the world. It's called Better Me. Did it help you with practice? I mean, you had tons of theory before joining Better Me, but maybe... You know, you got some hands-on experience. Maybe you can briefly tell about it as well. What did you do there? I remember those uh, those first days, actually, when I came and I didn't really feel that it's the same world I was living at, like uh, previously at the university, you know, because uh, everyone was so 
focused on the results. So no one cared about what's theory behind. And that helped me like to learn very fast. So a speed of experimentation in Barami, I think it's still the highest I've, I've ever seen across different apps on different scales. And we were running multiple experiments per week. And uh, I think that period was kind of very fast, very fast learning stage, for sure. What were you responsible for? Was it like monetizing subscriptions or is more like experimenting with product itself? Can you maybe briefly share what was your responsibility inside Better Me? Yeah, sure. So initially, as I mentioned, I started from performance marketing. So when I first like joined the product team, my main area of responsibility was actually how we can utilize our product channels, uh, sorry, marketing channels uh, in the best way, given our product. So the idea was to link uh, specific marketing channels or campaigns to and have a like, very, very personalized user experience inside the product. And at some stage, of course, uh, it became all about uh, the activation and first impression of the user inside the app. So onboarding funnel, first impression, first session, first workout, uh, if you are talking about a specific uh, health and fitness app. Yes, and also, of course, paywalls, pricing experiments mostly. So there were multiple things we were testing simultaneously. It's even hard to identify the sole one. We even had some experiments with gamification that wasn't really brought a variety of tests, but I had some kind of touch on that as well. And how did you come up with all these ideas to experiments as a team maybe or as an individual? I think it, even at, at that early stage of my career, I consider myself kind of framework guy. So I love coming up with uh, some structures, you know. So at some point, I just uh, started like what I call now like fully operating a monetization framework. So at those days, it was just a uh, beginning. But the approach was like the following. We have multiple areas of optimization. Let's say we have onboarding a survey, right? Like 20, 25 questions, the famous ones, almost any health and fitness apps uses at the beginning. We have paywalls, we have uh, push notifications, emails. So let's try to structure all that and see uh, where we can uh, still find low-hanging fruits. Maybe there are some areas we haven't really experimented with before. And uh, what I did just, I opened a spreadsheet and started mapping all the previous experiments we had, like how many experiments we had within, uh, let's say, paywall price optimization. Okay, we had seven experiments. On average, it gave us, let's say, plus 5% RPU increase. But I, when doing that exercise, I noticed that, let's say, we never tested call to action button text on the paywall. And I know like for some apps, it was pretty successful. And I saw like, well, there is no experiment on that. So instead of running experiment number six on pricing, that has already diminishing returns, right? Because we already tested so many times. So probably we are hitting a plate of optimization there. Why I don't just look at the, the new area, like let's say this call to action text on the payroll button. And that kind of framework helped me to identify categories within uh, monetization optimization. Like there were maybe 20 or 25 different categories of what can be tested and then approach each one and see how much of an impact it has. Does it really move the needle within RPU increase? And then moving from the highest priority to the lowest. Like, And I think that framework works the best if you have extensive experimental structure and history. So if there is a company that has already performed more than 100 experiments, it will help enormously to kind of identify what actually matters. Does it price or is it 
design layout or maybe it's onboarding length, you know, and it will be very unique for every product, I think. And do you still use this framework in Applica? Yeah, exactly. So I think that's what kind of differentiates us. That framework is really expensive right now. So it has many different parts and structures. And when we approach client audit, we start with that framework. It demands, of course, a lot of data analysis, like reviewing the history of previous experiments, checking the validity of those experiments, many different factors. But at the end of the day, when we have the results, we can clearly say that, okay, let's say you probably shouldn't try experimenting that much with the paywall design because you already did 25 experiments and you never know actually, well, that you are just doing the same thing. And we can see that after experiment number 15, you didn't reach any improvement, you know. So let's maybe turn our attention to something else. Yeah, that's helpful. I think we can talk in more details about that framework later if you're interested in. Yeah, if we're talking about, you know, A-B testing result evaluation, you know, in mobile apps, we have tons of metrics, including, you know, conversion to free trial, conversion to purchase, RPPU, and tons of other metrics. How did you measure performance of a particular test? I mean, how do you consider it to be successful versus failed test? Yeah, you know, when it comes to just solely conversion rate increase, it's pretty like simple, right? You have just two conversion numbers. You just open whatever A-B test calculator measures statistical significance and bump, you have results. Uh, so for, for something like LTV optimization, where you measure like just two LTV numbers one by one, it's a little bit harder. I think what I spotted as a like mistake to some degree or inconsistency for many apps is that people ignore some of the very crucial parameters in that equation of LTV measurement. And that's namely refund rate, subscription retention rate. And uh, for some, like if we are talking about web subscriptions, it's also chargeback rates. And that's very important and it differs a lot. Imagine you have like 100 bucks yearly subscription with seven day trial. I would expect it for some apps to have even more than like 15 or 20% of refunds for some of the apps. And of course, if you have shorter duration and smaller price, the refund rate will be of course lower. And it differs between platforms, of course, between different uh, geos, demographic factors. So in order to, I think the best like LTV calculation, if any team would like to approach that with the statistical rigors, then they should probably take a look at that as well. Like what is the refund rate for this particular subscription? And I think that's when where the tools like Adaptive can be handy for that, for sure. So it's, it's usually neglected and assumption is that it's similar, you know, across all the subscription of the paywalls, but it's not. And it, it has tremendous uh, effect on user economics in total. You know, if, if we run a test for a subscription economy, how fast can I make a significant decision? I mean, how long do I need to wait you know, to make sure that this test is statistically significant. Maybe have any suggestions here? How do I need to do this in the right way? Oh, yeah. So I think for, let's differentiate this question. So for early stage startups, uh, you know, of course, you don't have big sample sizes. You don't have lots of traffic, so, but you still want to optimize your subscription uh, and, and LTV. Sure. I think the good idea here would be actually to start with something I call macro level experimentation. So what's that? It's basically... You want to identify your initial pricing, initial paywall you go with. And to do that, I think you just go take top five, let's say, competitors that have good revenue, bad product. So, and that's, uh, here's the catch. Even though they have bad product, like maybe not really polished one with bad retention rates, but if they are still high 
on the revenue side, and you can check it, I don't know, Sensor Tower, Appany, go wherever. So they're probably doing something good about monetization. And instead of maybe running A-B tests, so your question was like, for how long have you waited for early stage startups? Like this A-B test might take very long time. So maybe just what you can do is like try this, one of uh, the best paywalls from your competitors that has particularly not the best product, but it's still strong on the monetization side. If you're talking more about like mature companies and products, I think there is another problem. I mean, I won't tell you right now. Okay, just uh, of course, there should be a meaningful period, at least a cycle. So it can't be less than a week, I think, due to weekly seasonality. Of course, like for some apps, especially within health and fitness and education, Monday and Tuesday are usually the best days. So people start new life from Monday. And if imagine if you run, if you start running A-B test on Saturday and finish it on Wednesday, and the next experiment is from just Wednesday to Sunday, you're really biased because you didn't have these two best performing days. And if you make any historical comparison, you know, it just doesn't make sense. So that's why it should be the, at least one week or even better, maybe two weeks period. But the problem is even if you get the results uh, within a week or two week period, what if it's a new subscription duration and you don't really know your subscription retention rates and to calculate your LTV, you have to make an assumption about that, right? Of course, you can go and check benchmarks and know that your multiplier is like 1.5 or whatever, like quarterly subscription, but it's usually bullshit. Like, you know, so what can be done is actually you take these first two weeks and see how many subscription cancellations you have, like what's the percentage of that. And then you plot a logarithmic chart like making an assumption that your curve of unsubscribe rate will have a logarithmic shape. But if we have to wait for a week or two for each experiment, how do we make a lot of experiments? As you said, at Better Me, you did a lot of simultaneous, I assume, experiments. So, for example, you're changing onboarding and then paywall, and they can affect each other. And how do we measure it? I think most product managers who work with monetization, they see monetization optimization as paywall optimization only, you know, it's not only about paywalls. So what they would do usually just let's run like 10 experiments on this paywall, but there are other things that matter a lot when it comes to monetization. From my experience, I would say there are three of them I would highlight. First one is onboarding experience. So what questions you ask, how you even design uh, in terms of UX, your login screen before the paywall, what are the questions? What the length of onboarding? Like if you have any onboarding survey, what are the product benefits you show? What the first impression of the core product experience? That can add maybe 50 to 100% to LTV for under optimized product, at least. Then the second thing is push email in app message strategy when it comes to uh, showing additional paywalls for the users who didn't convert initially on the first uh, paywall, let's say, uh, view experience. That can add maybe additionally 30 to 40% from the optimized product at least. Just, you know, just being able to remind users that you have premium subscription and send occasionally a few push notifications that will make you change already. And the third one I would say is discount flow. So imagine the user sees 100 bucks subscription on the paywall. And if you don't change it, like if you don't lower the price later on and he returns to your app, actually retains the users, the features, but that's the only subscription he sees while you're just leaving money on the table, you know, and if you would make like some kind of discount flow with the sequential price drop, that will help to boost economics enormously from my experience. So probably these three things 
onboarding, first impression, or then second thing is uh, push email in app messages. And third one is discount flow with sequential price drop. So for example, you independently make tests on onboarding, yes. on messaging, and on paywall and on discount flow and so on. Uh, let's maybe just cut that in two and uh, run a just straightforward ABCD test two times, you know. Really haven't seen that. Have you ever totally came up with uh, someone doing these kind of experiments? Well, I've heard somebody doing this, but you know, maybe we will do this as a feature in our product, but my idea here is that most companies, especially small sizes, they don't understand what they need to test and they don't have this, you know, gut feeling of what can work. And so what they do is they just randomly split their traffic and try to experiment everything. And as a result, most of their experiments will fail. And so my idea here is to give them a framework to, you know, where they put any number of parameters that they want to test, they relaunch it. And in a couple of days or even in a couple of hours, the algorithm will automatically drop failed variations. So this is what I'm thinking about. Yeah, that's one of the approach. But let's maybe stop here for a while and maybe if you can be helpful for like early startups who are just launching their first paywall or monetization experiments, maybe let's try to identify what can be this first hypothesis, what can be this first areas of improvement they should aim for. And I think there are a few, honestly. So first impression that I have, usually when I look at the new app, that the founders are playing cheap game because uh, they would just benefit enormously by increasing the price of subscription by 20-30% at least. So almost everyone who just launched the app have this imposter syndrome like, oh, my app isn't that good yet, you know, we're just starting early on, the product isn't good, so I wouldn't dare charging high price for my subscription. I would just go with uh, 10 bucks per year or 20 bucks per year, and you can see that pretty often. But the problem with that approach that you can hardly reach any profitability. You compete with the apps with a way higher price, the same subscription period. And the very concrete logic here that I saw that price and elasticity work in the way that usually the higher price is the better it is for LTV. Of course, it has its ceiling. If you ask for 100 bucks for the product that it doesn't make sense, you will see, of course, high cancellation rates later on and refund rates and negative story views. But... If there is any like early stage app founder, I would suggest to actually try go and increase the price by 20-30% and see how it uh, impacts your user economics. That's one of the ways. That's actually what I usually start with the price elasticity testing. Second thing I would say is trying shorter subscription periods. So let's say there are some classic genre like let's have a yearly subscription or let's have a monthly subscription. But by looking at the recent benchmark reports, even the one you did, and I remember you shared that with me, actually shorter subscription durations like weekly or quarterly subscriptions are really promising. And especially because if you have free trials, the conversion from install to trial is usually slightly better for these uh, shorter subscriptions. And also, it's because you have a more frequent subscription billing periods. Of course, like on the scale of a year, you, you will have uh, already four billing periods for quarterly subscriptions. And you can actually charge almost the same price for quarterly subscription as you charge for yearly. I mean, of course, it depends on the product, but it can be justified, actually. Well, because qu quarter is a meaningful period for a lot of people to give it a try. Like if it doesn't work for me, 
in three months, it wouldn't probably work for me at all. But if I stick to a product within these three months, well, I'm ready to actually get charged every three months if I see the value. So what's the problem? I think uh, that's once again, if there is a yearly subscription by trying to experiment with a quarterly subscription or maybe half year subscription instead, that can be a very powerful tactic for overall RPU growth. By the way, what do you think about refund rate? You said that you have seen applications with a 20% like an, an even greater refund rate. Is there any limit until you will be kicked from the App Store? Because unlike web, where even 1% of refunds or chargebacks can be crucial, and you know Stripe can, can just kick you, freeze your account, what's in App Store here? Well, well, honestly, I've never heard about such stories that, uh, well, the app would be remote or rest- restricted for, for high refund rates, honestly. Uh, yeah, that particular case was because of the really high price of the product. And usually what I noticed that when you have longer trial duration, like seven or 14 days, the refund rates are slightly higher than for shorter or no trial, of course, subscriptions. And that's because... Once again, human psychology, people tend to forget about what they subscribed for. And then, bump, 14 days later, I get this charge and I see that. And I can't really remember what was that app. Uh, so I'm, it's pretty natural to go and ask for a refund. Yeah, and for, for web subscriptions, I mean, we can touch that, of course, as well. I, w- I would say it's like more than you want to keep your chargeback rate under 1%. So refund rates doesn't matter that much because it's managed on your side. So you would better actually issue refunds proactively. Sometimes maybe it wasn't necessary, but in order just to uh, make sure you keep your chargebacks below 1% because then you get into the real trouble. Okay. Do you take into account maybe a brand and a product messaging of your app? Uh, For example, when you're working on meditation app, you may not uh, want to run A-B tests that make even more stress for users, for example, some timers, countdowns, and so on. So how do you work with that? Or whatever works the best, doesn't matter. No, actually, I think there are particular apps that have a, like a user profile. And if it's an education app, the user would probably be prepared for some, you know, if let's say if, if it's an app for master degree level of students, at least, And there are some apps like that, maybe very specific apps for maybe language learning apps, for example, for advanced level learners. They would expect you to play some tricks with them, especially if it comes to being not really clear about trial duration. So, you know, why? actually, I think one of the reasons why Blinkist was so successful with this very famous paywall when they have this trial explanation, how the trial works. I think that's because actually people cherish the clarity and they like when uh, when you are clear with them and you don't try to fool them. And of course, many apps are still uh, having huge profits because they try to conceal the price, try to conceal when you will get charged. Yeah, but eventually, I think this example of Blinkist and many apps that follow the same example with a similar structure, being really clear when you get charged. It's like building relationships. If you know it's for a long time, if, if you want to play the long-term game, I think it makes sense to be clear from the very first page of your app, from the very first page of onboarding. A bit uh, to the side, as you work with a lot of apps and uh, in your agency, did you see any changes in applications because of DFA changes in iOS? All right, so I, w- I would split the answer to two parts. So I definitely see the apps on a small scale affected more by that. It's even more interesting because there are some apps that are still small, but they have multiple channels. You know, they have maybe more than four or five marketing channels. 
it becomes really hard for them to have a correct attribution, like where my subscription came from. But they are still not big enough to like get a really like clear scan attribution, like just hitting these limits of uh, rather hundreds installs necessary for an ad set for Facebook. Like, I mean, there are there are specific requirements for that. So if they're in this middle spot where they have multiple channels, but don't have big enough budgets on each of the channel, that's a real trouble for correct attribution. On the big scale, if you just take dollar in, dollar out, it hasn't changed much from what I saw. And many big players actually move into web subscriptions these days, anticipating the future changes that might be introduced by Apple as well, as all all of us know. And as for very small, again, very small startups that have a single or maybe just a few channels, again, I think there is no choice but just to utilize the first channel as much as possible then you definitely know, okay, that's where my traffic came from. You don't even maybe need MMP partner if you just run one channel. But okay, it's like tricky question here, but it's easier for you to calculate user economics in that case. And if you see this one successful channel, it's actually scalable, then you you would better, I think, double down on that instead of just trying many different channels at the beginning. And you said small apps don't have enough budget for attribution to work properly. And how big this budget should be for each channel, for example? Of course, you can calculate average cost per install, maybe like for purchase optimization campaigns on Facebook on the best geos like Europe and North America. It will be around like from like 1.5 to 3 bucks, depending on the industry. And then if you need to get at least, what is it, 100 installs per day per ad set, if I'm not mistaken, like maybe I'm wrong here not really working closely with marketing these days, so might be wrong here. Yeah, so basically you you, you just need to spend at least two to three hundred bucks per day for single uh, ad set, which is for like a lot majority of small apps is not uh, something they can actually uh, aim for. Yes. It's also interesting when we talk about uh, user economics in general, you have basically like two parts of it, right? You have cost per install and you have RPU. And with cost per install, it's more or less clear, like, you know, the lower boundaries you can hit. Like you can't really have a CPI lower than $1, for example, within your industry. And you know that for sure. And wherever you try, even have good create, like uh, at uh, creative you have, there is probably this ceiling you can't really like get lower than let's say this benchmark or whatever and you can reach it pretty quick i mean you can just be lucky with the ad concept and get there just after a few iterations even with a very early stage product but when it comes to rpu ltv improvement that's something you built for years of incremental testing so and i think for the new application that tries to actually adjust user economics and see, well, can we be profitable? And in what period we can be, get profitable? Is it like six months, one year? That part of equation coming to CPI is way easier to calculate and predict. And you can say, okay, if we lower our CPI by 20% and it's actually possible, is it still possible for us to grow LTV so we, we get profitable and exceed that CPI uh, right cost? And uh, I think that's why very early stages of any subscription apps, uh, the team should focus a lot on improving not product. Even it's it sounds really counterintuitive, but I think if you already know your value proposition, it's not retention that will bring you better LTV usually, but it's uh, just uh, small changes to your very first uh, session, to activation flow, to your paywall, to your onboarding funnel. And uh, 
from what I saw, like actually strong retention rates, they uh, don't correlate as good with LTV as we would expect it to, especially for health and fitness, entertainment and education niches. And it's a very counterintuitive learning, but I, I see it constantly, actually. I saw the products increasing their retention rates enormously, even long-term retention rates with very good push notification strategy, but it had almost no impact on their LTV. Like still people who pay, they would pay anyways. And if you don't make enough efforts to persuade them to become paying subscribers at the beginning, you just lost them later on, you know. So it's better to use this momentum of emotion when the user has this like struggle and they see the ad, they go and experience your product like uh, onboarding session and try to convert them right ahead instead of waiting a few days uh, because then interest just falls and maybe the problem isn't that painful anymore for the user. So they are becoming more rational in their decision. So again, I think the sooner you introduce your subscription with a premium product, and justify why, why it's worth actually upgrading the batteries to, to your user economics. And for example, if someone who has an app and never did any tests, price optimization, and he comes to you, to your agency, about what uh, timeline do we talk about here? Maybe in six months, he will see any significant change in monetization, maybe become profitable on paid traffic or something like that. All right. So I think I have that approach with trying to find low-hanging fruits. And actually, there are things that can be done within a week or two, and we can already see some improvements. So usually, I already mentioned a few of them, but we can try to structure them in kind of a list. Once again, probably I would start with increasing the price by 20-30%, then introducing maybe slightly shorter subscription periods in addition to what they have. Then also introducing this sequential discount drop. So like after the first uh, initial uh, paywall experience, the next paywall should introduce you with a lower price or better offer, like maybe try an extended trial period or something else. And uh, those are the areas you can find almost within any app that are under-optimized. So it's easy to jump there and make some changes. One more thing I would really look at is paywall design layouts, I think. So I think there are now two clear patterns you can see across many apps. The first one is where you have a single price and uh, you have either explanation how your trial period works, like Blinkist case, we've already covered, or you have some bullet points with core value proposition about the application. Like here are three features or three benefits you get by like upgrading to premium subscription. And that's one, let's say one pattern you can clearly see. The second pattern is emphasizing more uh, not on the product benefits but on the subscription price and what i see is like usually apps introduce uh, three pricing options and usually have a short subscription period like weekly or monthly subscription then you have uh, something like usually yearly or half year or quarterly subscription in the middle which is usually the best rpu subscription uh, so you want to actually make a default subscription, highlight it somehow with your design UI patterns. And the third one is usually something used for decoy effect, like the famous economist uh, paywall, if you all remember where they had like a print version of economist for 39 bucks, then, oh, sorry, digital version of economist for 39 bucks, then print version for 100 bucks and print plus digital version for 100 bucks. So the two options didn't differ much. But you just don't really take into account that 30 bucks option and you just compare like psychological effect. You just compare the two uh, last options and there is a clear winner. You know, it's easy to make choice. 
So it's called Decoy Effect. And I see many apps uh, use that as well, especially with lifetime subscription. So the Decoy Effect can work like in two ways. Uh, the first one, you can have uh, two very similar prices. Let's say you have a yearly subscription for 50 bucks and lifetime for 55. So it's very clear that lifetime is way better, you know, and the price difference is negligible. And you can use that actually to increase conversion rate to your lifetime subscription, for example. And the second tactic that can be used here is to have two very different prices. So it's what Calm, for example, uses for their lifetime subscription. So it runs for something like from 300 to 400 bucks sometimes, depending whether you can find a discount for that or not. But the price looks enormous, like $400 for a lifetime subscription for a meditation app. <laughs> yeah. But that creates a very strong anchoring effect. Like, okay, if it's so expensive, it's probably really valuable. Like there is some value to that 400 bucks. So I would just go for a yearly subscription for $70 or $80 and get almost the same value. And I would, and the user can have this thought processing in their mind when making that decision. So if I see the value, uh, I wouldn't probably use the app for five years. So I, I'm still better off just giving it a try for one year. And I'm really, I have really better like offer here. It's like uh, six times uh, lower price compared to Lifetime. So Lifetime is just using uh, as an anchor, you know, to create this value perception of really high value of the product. Yeah. Cool. Is there any limit where you need to stop experimenting and finding the optimal, you know, offer? for your users? What do you think here? Oh, yeah. So I think let's return to that uh, experimentation framework uh, we mentioned at the beginning. So I'll just explain now how, how it uh, actually takes into account this clarity. So once again, usually when you identify your categories of monetization that you can uh, run an experiment within, and uh, of course, there can be many, like once again, paywall design, call to action text, pricing, number of pricing options, trial duration. So I can name a long list, of course, but you get the idea. And if you start like collecting the data, probably your first experiment is highly likely to be very, very successful because this area is under-optimized. So what you want to do is actually take this group of experiments, let's say it's payable pricing, and then like take every single experiment you did on the payable pricing then see how much on every subsequent experiment added to your lifetime value. You would probably see the diminishing return, right? So experiment number six just adds a very little, but experiment number one was a huge success. And then at some point, if you see you're hitting the plate of optimization, there are two ways out of it, how to escape it, how to like uh, overcome it, let's say. So the first one is a straightforward, just let's leave this monetization category and move on to the next one. So we are probably very, very optimized in terms of subscription price. So let's now test the design of the paywall instead. That's one of the approaches, but it's also tricky because when you change the design or, or do any other significant change, your initial learnings you got from your pricing might be less relevant now, you know? So that's also a tricky question. But there is a second approach what if you just run a macro level experiment where you just completely do something different? Like you always had a yearly subscription and you just run six experiments on your yearly subscription price. But this time you would just introduce a new subscription period. Let's say it's weekly subscription. And then you start all over again, but it's still within the same category. It's still within the subscription uh, price category. 
but it's more like a macro level jump and new, a completely new hypothesis. So that's what can help to get out of this plate of optimization. When it comes to design, for example, it might be the case that you always used like very standard UI layout with a single price. And this time, for example, you just want to try layout with three prices or something like, I don't know, or you just was inspired by Tinder paywall and you want to try something similar. So then you, you run this macro level experiment. And then when you get the results and it looks promising, you reapply all your previous learnings from all the other experiments, like call to action text, uh, I don't know, price, trial duration, and you apply to this new paywall. And then you see, well, you can still get even big improvement because uh, even though you tried Tinder like paywall, you have uh, the learnings that are applicable to your own app and that works even better here. So then you reapply those learnings and you get like double win basically. Okay, Svet, maybe you can give some advice for new founders. Yeah, I think today we discussed mostly the subscription optimization actually from the perspective of a small app. Of course, like all, all these uh, things can be applicable to, to the bigger apps, but I think uh, we've covered a lot, but the first and I think the most valuable advice would be to start running experiments uh, as early as possible, not wait just, uh, you know, and expect that you should have a very good core product experience in order to start experimenting with your monetization stuff, uh, with your paywalls, with your pricing. No, just actually it doesn't hurt to run those things in parallel and be more confident in what price you can charge. And there are always people you know, who will be willing to pay you money for what you already created if, if you have a really good product with some unique value. So don't hesitate to actually run monetization experiments at the beginning. And uh, there are people who will value that as well. Cool. Thank you so much again. Thank you so much, guys. It was a pleasure talking to you. All right. Goodbye. Bye-bye.